You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. Uh, on this week's episode, I am joined by returning guest. You're on the show for a little bit with on our Eddie's uh, episode. Uh, forward Madison Stryker, Jake Keegan. Welcome back to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I didn't really get much of a word in with the last episode with Daryl and Albert. They can both talk, so maybe I can get a few words in this time. <laughs> they definitely have the gift of the gab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had we had Daryl on one of our episodes with the aristocrats, and he, he talked for about two hours straight. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. I, I love Daryl, and uh, I'm so happy that he's playing in Canada and. Uh, I'll hopefully get to see him in Halifax this year. So uh, before we get into the the big questions, we just try I try and just do a few questions that are just a little bit more off off the cuff, just to kind of get you in the mood of things. So what's the what's the first uh, pair of boots you remember owning? I actually I don't I know my first one. I was like five years old. They were black. I don't remember the brand. I actually have them. I have them in my my parents in my parents' house. Uh, I have a, a collection of a lot of my old boots, but the main one that I remember wearing when I was growing up were the the Predators, Adidas, whether it was like the Manias or the whatever the, the poles, the pulses. I think they were called a lot of different. I always wore Adidas growing up, youth soccer, and then in high school. Nice. Uh, I think everybody has that one pair of boots that like was bought like from uh, like the cheapest pair possible because your mom and dad are like. Yeah. It's just a little shit on it, like keep playing this. Or <laughs> so I'm not gonna like waste a ton of money. I think I had a pair of Dunlops as my first ones. Uh, <laughs> what's what's the first football memory you have? Uh, as a player, or as a fan, uh, whatever comes Both. to your head, bud. Um, I would say my first as a fan was Metro Stars games. Uh, it was I don't know. I want to say like seven or eight years old. We would go to Giant Stadium and. My first memory was of the MLS shootouts, how they used to have from 35 yards out. They basically go on a breakaway. They would have five seconds to score. And Clint Mathis was on the team at that time, Tim Howard. So they had, I mean, they had a lot of good players. They had the great jerseys, great kits, great kits, unbelievable kits. And that was my first kind of intro to professional soccer. At that time, the EPL wasn't on TV every day, like every weekend as it is now. It's just too bad they uh, sold out and became Red Bull. Yeah, I know, but it was uh, I I remember seeing that for the first time. That it's it's like ice hockey, I guess, the way that they kind of come in, and I was just like, "What the fuck have they done here?" <laughs> Honestly, I think it, that should be the way penalties are taken. Really, I think it requires so much more skill. Uh, I, I, it, it's just odd, you know what I mean? And I could see why they're trying to do it because they're trying to like not have games ending in ties because it's not an American yeah. thing. But I. I could see it like as a penalty shootout for a tournament, maybe. But oh like, yeah, yeah. I don't, just, I don't want that every game. No, yeah. no, no. I want it 
when we would have penalties, I want the, that to be the penalties. I don't want to add shootouts at the end of draws. Absolutely not. Uh, but so when you could, have, so when you, you imagine a World Cup, oh, I know, a World I know, Cup coming down to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so when you eventually take over FIFA, you can uh, bring that in, man. Uh, what's uh, what's your? I don't fav- have enough skeletons in my closet. <laughs> <to go with laughs> uh, you don't have enough brown paper bags. Uh, so, uh, what's your favorite Irish food? Uh, Got to be the like the beef stews. That, nice. yeah, those are those are delicious. The meat uh, just like falling off the bone. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. But like my mom used to kind of make those in the summer too. And it's like when it's like 20 degrees outside, the last thing you're going to be eating is a fucking stew. So uh, <laughs> what's that? What's the first car you remember owning? Um, well, I never, I didn't own a car until I had a Toyota Camry a few years ago, but I would, like in college, my parents lent me a car and that was, I think that was also a Camry. It was, God only knows what year it was. An old Camry, an old Toyota Camry. Nice. You might we might you might get a sponsorship out of this. And then uh, the last one of these. And what's that? What's the hardest training exercise you do? What's the one where you're just like, oh fuck, I hate doing these. Um, I would say uh, I do an exercise. I don't do it in the season during the season, but I in the off season I'll do this exercise called stinkers, where it's just pure fitness and I do it with and without the ball and it's 40, I set up cones 40 yards apart and I have to run there and back. That's one. And I do it, uh, four times or three times. So six, six total. And then you take a, like a 30 second break and you do it that four, four rounds of it. And then once you finish, you do it with the ball. So it's, Jeez. it's a good, it's a good blow. Yeah. My, my, my fat heart is here going like, Jesus Christ, that's <laughs> horrible. So, um, obviously you moved to uh, forward Madison in the, uh, the, the off season. So how did I come How did I come about and how are you settling in? Oh, well, I was in obviously Greenville last season for a variety of reasons, decided to move on. I, I mean, I think Madison ended up being a great landing spot. Uh, it's, I, luckily enough, I didn't arrive here in the winter because I'm not sure how much I would have liked it then. Uh, it's, <laughs> I hear it's miserable, but now, I mean, I'm sitting outside, I'm looking out my window, I see the lake, I see uh, sunny skies, like it's, it's beautiful out. And uh, the team is doing very well. We've three wins and two draws in our first five games. Uh, so I can't complain. I really, I, I like our style of play too. It's, it's, it's the kind that a, a smaller striker would enjoy. It's not so much in Greenville, we were a little bit more direct. So we were kind of like, hold. And uh, and we keep the ball on the ground a lot more here. That's good. That's good. And you're settling into the area, okay? Like everything's like good in the city. Yeah, they have. They set me up in this apartment. Like literally, the Capitol Building is one block that way. And the and the stadium and the gym we go to or I go to is across the street. The stadium is a ten minute walk. There's lakes. It's an isthmus. Isthmus. So there's lakes on each side. And I'm right in the middle of it. So it's like a ten minute walk to one lake and a ten minute walk to the other lake. It's literally. I, I, I mean, University of Wisconsin's like 15 minute walk. The location is really unbelievable. What, what, what a horrible life you lead. So, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, as you mentioned there, like you, you guys have uh, had a great start to the season um, and you've, you've come back in an awful lot of uh, games too. So, is that driven from the manager or is that like a team mentality itself that's like you keep going to the very end? I think first and foremost, it's the players and not no disrespect to the manager. I think the players drive that the players are the ones on the field and the manager, you could have Klopp, you could have Mourinho. And if you don't have the right players with the right mentality, it's just not going to work. But one thing I will say for Carl and, and the rest of his staff, Neil, is when we come in at halftime, 
I've had a lot of managers where we'd be losing one, nothing, not playing our best. And they come in and they shout at you and they tell you your shit and blah, 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 threaten your careers, Colin Miller. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but Carl comes in and he literally like does no shouting. He, I mean, if he has his, his critiques of our game, of course, but he gets to the board, he says, here, we need to do this. He moves his little pieces um, on his tactical board. And he says, we need to do more of this. And a lot of times it's spot on and it helps us in the second half. So, I mean, I, I think that's a big part of it. It's not losing our composure, not flipping a shit because we're losing one nil. And, and I think then it gives the players the platform to then say, all right, we have to take ownership of this and we have to sort out whatever our problems were in the first half. Uh, is that a different style then to what John Harks was at Greenville? Is is John a kind of a tactical guy too, or is he a a, a, a hair dryer kind of guy? He's he's more of a mentality, so he's not as much tactical. He's more. John was not a a screamer for the most part. One or two times he was a hair dryer type guy, but for the most part he was more just our mentality in this first half hasn't been right. We have to change it. Whereas Carl is more of a, let me get on the whiteboard and tell you exactly how I want you to move. Both can be very successful. Yeah. I like, I mean, like, yeah. these were champions last year, right? So, yeah. um, so, so you were playing against Fort Lauderdale the other night and uh, you scored a fantastic goal, like from a, a great pass from a uh, fellow Irishman, uh, Mr. Malloy. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it was an amazing goal. Like, and, but I wanted to ask you because obviously you're, you're the striker, like, and it's for budding strikers out there too. Like, so how do you judge those runs? Like, like, did you, do you know he's going to hit the ball there or are you making that run several times a, a game, hoping that you get that pass? You make that run probably 10 times and get it once or twice. Uh, but I will say to have someone like Aaron in our team is a, is a gift from God because <laughs> no disrespect to any midfielders I played with in the past, but Aaron is the best player in the league, in my opinion. And I don't think it's relatively close. He like the things he can do with the ball, the way, even like the way to pass the way he played the ball, like no look almost like, and the, the way to pass was perfect. And yeah, I mean, it, yeah, you still have to finish it, but it makes my life so much easier. It makes our other attacking players lives so much easier to have a six who can dictate the tempo, who can keep the ball, who can play difficult penetrating passes a lot of times a six keeps it very simple, keeps it side to side, but that means that you have to break down the defense on your own. You have to win your one, one V one duels. And Aaron is just, he's different class. Yeah. I mean, like when I, when I saw the, the I watched the game the other night and I watched the, the pass go in and I was just like, I've watched quite a few games in the USL league one and you're right. I haven't seen anybody that has that kind of quickness of thought because he literally took one like little step, and then the pass was gone. Like it's just mm-hmm. so looking at him, like obviously he was part of the Timbers organization for a while. Like, do you think that he will progress? Is this like, a, is this a good stage for him to kind of get everything together and push on? I mean, I, ho- I hope it does. I-, I think it's, it's difficult for him because he's a foreigner, an international spot. I think if he was American, he'd still be on an MLS roster, but being an international, it makes it tougher. I, I do think he's clearly uh, championship level quality at the bare minimum. And I know he wants to be in the U S long-term. So I, I mean, I'm hoping for it. I mean, I, you always want to see players progress and do well. We don't want to lose them too soon, but he's, he's definitely, he definitely has the quality for it. He comes from good stock. Like his dad was an amazing yes, player. Too, yes. so. Um, so, you know, um, obviously you turned 30, I'm sorry, but like, 
so, I'm 42, so like I, I'm I'm halfway dead. So, um, so but you like you you turned 30, like so. So have you take have you changed your approach to like the team side of things? I noticed you had the armband on the other night and stuff like that. Like, are you taking a more senior role in the team now and helping the younger guys out? Yes, but I, I think it's just lessons that I've learned over the years. I, it's not that I was actively not trying to take on a leadership role in the past. It's just maybe I didn't have the experience or have the wherewithal of exactly what to say in certain moments. So I mean, I'm nowhere near a finished product in terms of the leadership role, but I do think I've picked up a lot of things and, and credit to the, the Greenville group that we had, because I think I learned a lot of things from both John Alex Blackburn, the, co- the the rest of the players there as well, because we had a winning mentality there. And a lot of what I'm trying to do here is try to bring a lot of the positives from Greenville and then maybe get rid of some of the negatives <laughs> here, here, here and there. <laughs> and, ho- and hopefully that'll lead, uh, lead to a successful season. Uh, and can you see like the, like the, do the young guys respond to that? Are they taking it in? Um, I'm like, what way were you when you were starting out? Like, and some of the senior pros are trying to give you because I know, like, when people are teenagers and whatever, like, you can be like, Leave me alone, I know what I'm doing, kind of thing. Uh, were you that kind of cocky teenager, or were you kind of like, I want to take all this in? No, I was the exact opposite. I always wanted to take, I was probably a very easy guy to lead because I would always listen to the senior players. And I think this group that we have here in Madison is a lot like that. Uh, for the most part, if if not everyone wants to kind of improve, work hard, listen to the senior players. And we have a few uh, senior players that really have had a lot of good experience. And Christian Diaz, who's played Liga MX, is still an unbelievable player. Connor Tobin's had a great career. I've had a good career. And even someone like an Aaron Malloy, even though he's a younger on the younger side, he's taking a leadership role as well. Nice, nice. Um, so... Fans have come back. Uh, I saw um, one of the late late goals that you scored, and the the, the place looked like the roof was going to come off. So, how's how's that experience been? And uh, how, how special are the fans in Madison? They well, did, did you see the the board? They they, uh, <laughs> they knocked over the advertising board. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's great, and that was fifteen hundred people, I believe. So going forward now, uh, Madison or Dane County has completely opened up. So life is normal. So we can have sellout crowds. And I know in 2019, I think they sold out pretty much every crowd, which is close to 5,000. So I'm expecting this home game on Sunday to be pretty close to a sellout, if not a sellout. And I I don't know how much better it can get, um, but um, <laughs> but um, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's like a, f- a full scale riot or something, man. It was it was it was incredible, and and that's that's literally what we've been missing with football. It's just seeing those kind of moments when the the players and the the fans can come together and just enjoy yeah. that kind of stuff. So there's, there's nothing there's nothing like having supporters in the ground, whether it's a big stadium like Old Trafford or Anfield or a smaller stadium like. It's just, it's just without fans is dead. There's like it's it's a friendly. Yeah, I, I kind of like was the was the stadium empty the other night against Fort? It looked like there was nobody there. Fort Lauderdale? Uh, no, they they I think they just allowed like family and friends. So there was maybe fifty people or so, maybe a hundred. But that is MLS two teams. They don't fill up the state. I think that's not unusual for the two teams because they don't have. They I mean, obviously they're supporting the MLS team first. And we often play in empty stadiums, which can be annoying. But for the most part, the independent teams around the league, 
have a good support. So, so those kind of like uh, academy teams or reserve teams, like, are they like, what's the standard like against those guys? Cause obviously like they're playing for a bigger organization than what, what you guys are like, is, are they fitter or is, are they coach better? Or does it give you guys the extra motivation as well when you're playing against them? I would say they're just, uh, in most cases they're more talented, but that's just because they're younger and, and, okay. and being that they're, they're 20, 21, whatever they are. And they, and a lot, and a lot of times a few of the MLS players that aren't getting significant minutes get loaned down as well. So uh, they're very comparable. I mean, the first year of reserve team one league one in North Texas and Fort Lauderdale has always been challenging to play against, but I, I, I do enjoy playing against those teams because a lot of times when we play against the independent teams, it's a lot more tactical where like, like say Madison or Greenville, we're two of the top teams in the league. Right. So teams will sit off us. They'll show us respect, which is, good in a sense but it's also and can be annoying as an attacking player like you got four people around you at all times whereas the two teams for the most part they'll play their system and it's normally an expansive attacking system which can lead to goals on their end but it also leads to openings uh from my perspective so i i enjoy playing against those kids nice nice uh, yeah i saw that um like not saying there's any nepotism but like phil neville's kid plays for uh, Fort Lauderdale like um, I think he's pretty much followed them like he played for Valencia he played for Man United uh, what what was he like did you get to see a bunch of them uh, playing and what yeah he think played that... I think he played 90 minutes the other night he was he's just he's a six eight kind of box to box player he's good on the ball can ping it as every English player in the history of the world can <laughs> uh, he, I mean he didn't stick out to me as like one of their top top players but he was, he was a good player like because he's actually um He's actually an Irish international, so that's why I was kind of asking. He's uh, his is he gran- really? Yeah, his uh, his grandparent is like has his, his grandmother is Irish or something, so he's kind of sneaking in because it's so hard, I'd imagine, to get into the English teams right now with yeah. the the, the, yeah. the talent that they have. So, so just taking it back to last year, um, obviously you were as we mentioned, you were champions with uh, Greenville. So, how did that season unfold for you? Because it was so stoppy starty. Um, and how surreal was it like winning the championship with no facts? <laughs> well, we actually I, in Greenville, we were lucky enough. I think we only had one home game with zero fans. So by the end, we had close to 50 percent capacity at our home games anyway. But the weird part about it was, I mean, of course, you have the, the quarantine period, which was crazy. We didn't even know if we were going to have a season in general. But once the season started, it was normal enough i guess aside from getting stuff stuck up your nose and certain away teams not being able to play in certain counties and then not having fans and all the different stuff but then the craziest part was the final we obviously we won the regular season omaha finished second and then the final happens the week of the final and then the day before the game um, we're doing like our pre-game like scout uh, video in the, in the dressing room and it kind of it gets announced that Omaha has positive cases and, and the final's not going to get played. So we we were we won the championship based on regular season, which to me is it doesn't take away the value at all because we were clearly the best team, and that's how leagues are decided in every country. So I to have a final like I, I don't really need that to feel fulfilled. But it was I mean it's, it's a crazy situation. And then what Greenville did that was really nice is they had still had like a trophy celebration type thing and they did an inner squad uh so it, it actually and their fans came out to it 
So it actually ended up being like a Harlem Globetrotters type friendly and guys like <laughs> we had keepers taking penalties and like guys just uh, strikers playing in the back defenders up front guy like there was not one tackle put in the entire game guys weren't even, guys were just jogging around like they were just every they were just having fun with the celebrations it was, so it was just it was like a festive atmosphere yeah i saw the celebrations when you were given the trophy and i mean uh seeing the uh the the owner like you could see that it meant so much to him but can you imagine what it must be like for those like the omaha players that like you know you've got to this final game and then suddenly it's just like snatched away from you like it's just i can see where you're coming from that you guys were the better team over like you just won the league pretty much but yeah. it's just, it was such a, a heartbreaking situation for those guys did they actually go to north Carolina, or did they ever travel at all no they didn't travel they i guess they got their results before they tra- traveled and then that it was decided at that point and i i mean yeah if i lose me i would hate it i would suck but the guys that I've spoken to on the team or like friends of friends type situations, they didn't seem too heartbroken about it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that was just one or two players. I, 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 if it was me, I would be disgusted. And I, and, but it was a situation where like, what are you supposed to do? Because for them to clear quarantine rules, it would have been almost Thanksgiving. So you're going to have us train for an extra month almost to play a game. I it just, there was really no other answer, unfortunately. So how many uh, COVID tests do you reckon you've taken at this stage? <laughs> Good God. Um, well, at least once a week. For, I would guess at least 70 maybe. No, Holy no, shit. Not, not, not 70, maybe, maybe 50. I, I got one there like a, a couple of months ago. They had like one of the pop-up clinics. Yeah. I was like, I'll do my civic duty and go in and get one. I, I, it also helped that I was had a few drinks at me at the time. And it fucking sucks. Like it's like like straight away, like your eyes are it's like pissing water and stuff like that. Like I couldn't imagine having to. You do you do the deep one or the yeah the, like, like yeah that that one's it's unnecessary. <laughs> we I only, I've only had to do that one once. Uh, we got like a mid nasal one, so it's oh. more. It doesn't go all the way up. It's <laughs> so you kind of mentioned there like the uh, the, the different styles um, in in Madison and Greenville. So. It sounds like you're enjoying the, the the football there. Like, so do you think that you guys have realistically a good chance of going all the way this year? I I don't think that can be our minds right now, just because we have a very young team. There's it's it's all about the process of improving week to week. Hopefully, still getting results along the way. But if we start saying like, "Oh, we're going to win the league," or we're the best two teams in the league, then that's when, especially young players, but even older players like myself, that's when you get complacent, that's overconfidence, and that's when you start kind of having a dip in form. So we just have to kind of stay the course, keep improving, and, yeah, of course, hopefully by the end of the season we'll be there or thereabouts, as they say. So so you're like you're three goals in five games right now. I know that you've kind of had these the, – I think with Greenville, like you kind of started off the season like really well, and then you kind of had a little bit of a dip – as a striker, how'd you get over that those kind of dips to make sure that you're not your confidence isn't like being sapped? It's it's tough. Uh, last season in Greenville, I I kind of changed positions, so that was I I, I felt I mean part of the reason why I left. So I, the first I started the season well last year, and then I became as a nine, and then I became more of a ten for the last. There was only sixteen games in the season, so for the last like eleven games, I was a ten as opposed to a nine. So I, I think that was my dip in goals was 
directly related. Uh, but but I, don't get me wrong, I've gone through many of many dips in my career, and I'm sure there'll be a dip at some point in the future as well. So when that happens, you just have to keep training hard and try to hit the back of the net in training, and hopefully it carries over to the game. And and it can be as simple as just randomly in a game, a ball like ricochets off you and goes in, and then all of a sudden you score five goals in five games. Or if it doesn't happen, you don't score for ten games. It's it, it's it's a fickle thing uh, being a striker, but you have to contribute in other ways when you're not scoring. And, and that's, I, I pride myself on that in terms of doing my work for the team defensively, making good runs and all that kind of stuff. So when you have those kind of dips and then you, as you said, like you kind of come out of it and you get that kind of jammy goal, uh, do, do you get superstitious then? You're like, Oh, I need to wear these like boots all the time. or I need to wear these socks or. <laughs> I, I'm not superstitious in the sense of, if something happened good, I have to do the same thing again. But what I do do is like, if I haven't scored in a while, I'll be like, these boots are done. Or I'll be like, I need a haircut or like some, something like I just need to change something. But when things are going well, no, I, I have no need to like do the exact same pregame meal or tie my left boot. None, none of that. <laughs> good, good, good. So obviously we can't, uh, we can't not talk about your time in Ireland. So uh, <laughs> your time at uh, your time at Galway was like your most prolific of your career, pretty much. Uh, like well, what, Madison. What, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, but, but what, what clicked for you there? Because like you, you, you were prolific in the first division and you're prolific in the Premier Division. So like it wasn't just a flash in the pan. Like so, what, what was it about Galway like that? Just you just hit the heights. Well, I think I think the Irish game suits me. First off. It's very high tempo, lots of balls in the box, lots of balls in behind. Um, there's not a ton of tactical like teams sitting off you defensively as there is in the U.S. So I think first off that suits me. And I think in Galway, I had a manager in Tommy Dunn who like I could play, have one leg and he would still play me. He trusted me so much. And he, whether it was playing up front and Galway actually played a lot left wing as well. Uh, so he, no matter what I fit into the team some way, and he didn't, he never took me off. I played 90 minutes every game and it just, that confidence and the way we played and it just all built up and, 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 and add that to the fact that Ireland suited me down to the ground. So then like when I compare it to St. Pat's, I would argue or I would guess that it probably had a similar like minutes to goal ratio, maybe even better at Pat's, but Pat's was, I would be in the team one week and then the next week I'd be off the bench and like, so that was the only difference, in my opinion. Like, I think if, if I played every week at Pats, it would have been the same situation as, as Galway. So what, why do you think, Dan, that like at Pats you weren't getting the nod every week? I mean, if you're banging in the goals like that, like why would a manager not like play? It just seems strange to me. Well, that's, I mean, that's just down to the, the manager's philosophy, his beliefs. And, and at Pats, uh, Liam wanted a striker who was going to get his midfielders shot. He told me all the time, he wanted a striker who was going to get his midfielders chances. And I'm more of a guy that's playing on the shoulder and getting in behind myself. So my link in his mind, my link play wasn't what he wanted exactly. But I mean, that season, we didn't have another striker that was better. It was just, he gave, I mean, we had Christy Fagan, who was a club legend, but he was nowhere near. And then we had a young kid and he would, I still started predominantly started um, for throughout the season, but he would give those guys chances here and there. And I felt like it kind of messed with my rhythm a bit. Just it, what difference does it make where the goals come from? Uh, I mean, I, I think, I think it is important that other people are involved because you're not going to have a striker that, I mean, maybe messy, but you need 
goals from a lot of different areas. So I, I, I see where he's coming from. I, I don't agree because I didn't think there was anyone better at the time, but I do see why I wasn't necessarily his ideal striker. And did you have to, did you adapt your game to try and fit it? Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. So you always try to adapt to some extent what the manager wants, but you also have to rely on what makes you good. So it was, it was toe in a fine line. And I, I think when you try to adapt to something new, it's very rare that you're fulfilling your fullest potential because you're not doing what makes you who you are. And what, why did you like, why did you leave Galway then to go to Pats if like you were kind of, were you not happy enough like Galway or? No, I've, I love Galway. I, I didn't. So it wasn't like Galway to Pats. It was Galway to Edmonton. Then. To oh, Pats. sorry. That was my like, fault. It was like the, the, the reason why I went to Edmonton was, I mean, first of all, the, like the salaries weren't comparable. It was a, a higher level, at least in my mind, you had the NASL, which had like Cosmos, a lot of big players, Raul, Marco Senna, Joe Cole, Samaras, like, it was an opportunity that at that time, I think I was like 25 at that time. And I was like, if I can do really well in NASL for a year or two, maybe I can get a chance in MLS. That was my goal to do well in the NASL, get a chance in MLS. And I do think that opportunity was there. There were a lot of players that did Christian Ramirez is one. He was in the NASL in 2016, my first season, he won the golden boot. Then now he's still playing in MLS, whatever, five, six years later. So I do think the opportunity was there and it was my thought process wasn't wrong. It was just maybe Edmonton wasn't the best club to make that happen. It's 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 still not the greatest club in force. They just kind of they just can never seem to get it right. Obviously, they brought in a new manager now, and uh, they brought in some different players. Like I, I honestly think that Canada needs to have a strong Edmonton just because it's the one club that actually has a name here in the, the Canadian Premier League. It's the most well known of the teams that are in there, but. They, they just struggle so much. Like, what, what is it up there that, like, causes the teams, like, not to do so well? <laughs> I mean, I think, without getting too specific, I think organizations start from the top and trickle down. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I won't push <laughs> so that, that was my mistake. I'm sorry, I forgot there was the the, the stint in in before you went back to Ireland. But um, so, so then you went back to the states. So was there any offers in Ireland to stay there, or did you just want to just get get back home and uh, start playing back at, back in the states? Uh, after St. Pat's, it was. I think uh, there were. I could have gone back to Galway. I believe, pretty sure that I could. I feel like every season I've been a free agent, Galway has been in the mix in some capacity. Even this past off season, I talked oh, to wow. Caulfield. I talked to Caulfield before, uh, but no, I didn't really want to stay in Ireland unless it was going to be at a Premier Division club, which Galway weren't at the time. And when John Harks gives you a call, obviously he's a U.S. legend, yeah. done brilliantly well in in England as well, and he's a very personable guy, very. He's very, he's tough to say no to, I guess is, I guess what I'm getting at. And he had a good, he had a good plan in Greenville and to be fair to him, like pretty much everything he said happened. He said, we want to build a winning culture. We want to do this. We want you to be a big part of it, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of it happened. We lost in the final the first year and we won it in the second year. So I do not regret it in any way. Uh, are they the team to beat again this year? Yeah, they, they are. Yes. They have, they returned, I think, bar two. They returned everybody that they wanted. So I think they wanted 16 players back from last year's 
championship team out of the 20 or whatever. So pretty much everybody and only two left. So they have 14 of the returning guys and they brought in a lot of, not a lot, but three or four like experienced players. Marius Walmas is doing well. He was in championship and Don Smart, who's actually in Madison. He came over, he's experienced as well. So, I mean, yes, they're, they're definitely the team to beat. Well, you know, like you guys are, I, I, I still think that you guys are going to be in the, in the mix. So, um, so I, I know that you, uh, we talked a little bit before we came on here about your, your own podcast. Um, but I kind of have to ask you like, uh, what was it like being on the other side of the mic talking to professionals? <laughs> oh, it was from 97% of that, maybe a hundred percent. It was awesome. I, I love the experience getting to talk to a lot bigger stars than I ever thought like going into it, both in the men's and the women's game. Like, I mean, Jeff Cameron's stories were just, the fact that we got me, me and Dave got to speak to Jeff Cameron and he was very open and very candid about his life, his career, his beliefs. I mean, he's awesome. And he, he, you connect with these people and, and I, and I become, I think what changed even more is I've become more of a fan of the women's game because I've talked to at least what, like seven or eight, NWSL players, national team players, and girls that I like, I respect a lot. Not that I didn't respect them before, but I, when you have a personal relationship, not that it's like we're talking every day, but when you have a personal relationship with people around the league, you're more likely to watch it. And I, I think that's been a cool part. Yeah. I, I mean, like I've, uh, it, it must be a little bit different for you, like than what it is for me, because obviously you, you're a part of the game. Like, I mean, you, you know, what these people are going through, whereas like I'm just an outsider looking in. So what what was like the especially with the women's game because obviously you don't play in the women's game. But was there anything that like surprised you about how the women's game is treated compared to the men's game? Was there any kind of like differences that you, you kind of like stood out to you? Um, I think it, now it's it's better than it's it's better than it's ever been. But I think speaking to Gina Lewandowski. Uh, cause she was in the NWSL or whatever it was called back in 2009, 2010. Then she went over to Germany, obviously Bayern Munich, the men's team is a huge thing. And the women's team is just an afterthought. So speaking of those players, you do get a sense that they feel, I don't know, kind of like the little brother, little sister type, yeah. type mentality. And, and it's tough for them, but they're all, all the ones that we spoke to are working hard to grow the game and improve the conditions for the, for the players following and, and Gina specifically said like, it's just, she, she, now she's probably 34. She talks about rookies coming in and complaining about their salary or the, how they're living or all these different things. And she's like, sweetie, <laughs> like <laughs> if you were there when I was there <laughs> and, and it's, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's great to see that it's progressing so much and you see, you can click on, if you have the CPS all access or Paramount plus or whatever, you can watch pretty much all their games. So it's, it's grown immensely. And of course it's going to be behind the men's game just for the simple fact that women's soccer has been around for, I mean, really the world cup started in what 91 was their first world cup. First men's world cup is 1930. Yeah. So it, they're behind Rather, you can talk all you want, men versus women, whatever, and athletically, but just the fact that they're behind in time, they, they need time to catch up and they're doing everything they can to improve their sport. And that's that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, every time like I listen to any of the the episodes where like the the, the the female soccer players, like it was incredible, like how dedicated they are 
when they're not being paid as much as what the men are because let's be honest like like the the women's team is more high profile in the states than what the men's is just because it's way more successful right and just like you you hear these kind of heroes and like they're lauded and they're brought out to the white house and all that kind of stuff and then they go back to their their day jobs and they're not treated the same way it's it's kind of sad and i really hope that for like I think we need a women's game because I think everybody like football should be for everybody. It shouldn't be just a, a men's game. And I really hope that um going forward that they get what they deserve, to be honest, because they've brought they've played a huge part in making the game successful in the States. Um so for yourself, um I just I always finish off my shows with uh, the same question because I'm predictable and lazy and I can't think of anything else to ask. Uh, <laughs> you're going to play in a five-a-side tournament from the players you've played with. Who's on your team? And oh, you, have wow. to, you don't have to include Daryl Fordyce if you don't want to. <laughs> is it, this, is, this is them in, in their prime, yes? And I can pick any, any part of their career? Yeah. Do I need a keeper? So to you, man, it's your five-a-side team. Some people well, do. How, some big people are, how big are the goals? Uh, all right, here we go. We'll do like the little mini ones. All right, so you don't just have to have a just go little mini goals. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we don't need a keeper. <laughs> uh, I'll go. Well, if I were to pick, a, I'll have a sixth. So the keeper would be uh, Matt Van Oakle from FC Edmonton if I had to pick one. But my five aside team would be Aaron Malloy's in it. This is tough. Uh, I would say Lee Desmond's in it from St. Pat's, left sided center half. I would say, oh man, I, need, I need like a list. I'm going to leave people out. <laughs> I'm going to leave people out now. Um, I would say Tyler Pollock from FC Edmonton nice. is in it. I would say that's three, and and I'm myself is the fifth. So I've got, I've got to play my own team. Yeah, of course. <laughs> one, one more. Uh, maybe Daryl. Trying to think if we have someone else that I want. It might be Daryl. I love playing with Daryl. It's tough. It's tough to compare Daryl though to all these other teams where like we were scoring, banging in tons of goals, whereas FC Edmonton we were like barely ever scored. So it's. it's, it's <laughs> I mean, in fairness to Daryl, he was the only one that did score. So <laughs> I, I, have, I have much fonder memories playing with a lot of other attacking players than with Daryl, just because of the system that we played. But. <laughs> unfortunately i actually this is if this is only a five-a-side team i think i might pick dara markey from st pat's nice he a, he would never lose the ball like ever so i love players like that man just like yeah, yeah. They, they just always one step ahead of it's they're they're amazing to play with so um if you just want to recap your team there for me just so everybody can feel bad that they haven't been picked like Albert Watson, Daryl Fordyce. Well, we got, we got Matt Van Ockel as our, uh, as our coach slash goalkeeper. If the goals grow, we have Lee Desmond and Tyler Pollock our two defensive players. We have Aaron Malloy and Darren Markey. And then I'm playing up front, <laughs> whether or not I'm the best striker that I've played with. Uh, that's not, that's not important. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great, that's a great side, man. I, I, I think that'd be a lot, a lot of fun to, uh, to play with. and Jesus, Mr. Malloy's done well for himself. You only played with him like a couple of games and he's already. I'm telling you, I love that kid. He's not even a kid. I love that man. <laughs> So uh, it's been great hanging out, Jake. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, just chat some footy. It's uh, I'm really, 
I'm really great. I'm really glad to see that you're so happy down there and you look like you're you're at home. So uh, best of luck for the season ahead and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me on. It's always great. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.